Hello and welcome to a very special movie of the year. Why is it special? Why? Because you're listening, listener, and we love you. I am your host, Greg. This year, this season, we are doing 1997. And tonight, I am proud to announce that we're doing L.A. Confidential. I'm also proud to announce that with me, as always, is best friend, Ryan. Ryan, how you doing? God, it's so good to hear again. Did you get your best friend care package? Yes, I got all the stickers that you sent me, a hat with your picture on it. Ryan, can I just say something about the stickers? Use them. Right? I, but I'd like I'm not win. sending you a, a sheet of stickers so that you don't use them. I feel like every time I get you stickers, I want to like see them on the back of your car. There's I so see much them on the back pressure. Of your Once I stick it there, it's there forever, dude. Yeah, but if it's like a baller Smurfs sticker, you should put it right on the thing. All the stickers are you pose like Calvin Peen on things. Uh, dude, where did those go? Taylor, let me ask you. Yeah. Where did those go? I think they all went to my apartment. I'm collecting them. <laughs> I'm, I'm using them all. Do you live in Riverside, California? Because I feel like if you go to Riverside, and oh, this yeah. is not, I'm not trying to shade Riverside here. No one ever is. It's a garbage place full of garbage people, and I feel like you'd see that kind of garbage sticker there. That's, I just, the like yesterday, saw someone posted a picture, and they were like, imagine this was put up yesterday, and it was a, it was a sticker that's still there of uh, Calvin peeing on the name Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> It Is that how a, he died? It <laughs> was a different time. I think we're actually going to talk a little bit about 9-11 tonight. And to me, that's exciting. And plus, it's we have to. It's a podcast. I think the stickers went away in Riverside because Riverside converted them to tattoos. Everyone <laughs> has Calvin Peen on something on I their body. I also need it on the back of my <laughs> car. Taylor, should you win tonight, will you use the stickers I give you? Oh, absolutely. You'll use those stickers. I'm going to put those things all over. It's going to be a st- uh, what they call uh, like a sticker bomb, as the kids say. Uh-huh. I'm just going to sticker bomb everything I own. Just put, just cover it with stickers. Just absolutely covered in stickers. I'm going to cover myself in stickers. I'm going to be a sticker bomb boy. And I love, Greg, how you spent the extra money to get the puffy ones. I did. Do you remember those? Like I You're did. trying to bring those Of course back. I remember them. I remember buying them and sending them. Taylor, to you. do you remember those? I don't know if you've seen them before. Yes. Having not won last week. From the time that Greg w- sent me when I won and I put them on everything. Prove Taylor. that you've ever won. Taylor did win. I won one. and I, I was Bullshit. the winner for like you know several what? months. Taylor. That's oh, what, come on. That's what you get. And yeah, you were. You were like, for like a month, you were the winner. Guys, we're bearing the lead here. We're talking about ourselves because that's our favorite thing to do. But what we should be talking about is LA Confidential. Am I crazy to say that this is a movie that is like very much our bullshit? I, I, I want to fight against it. I want to fight uh, us loving this movie about three dudes living the gritty uh-huh. life and uh, trying to do their best. But there's something one about it that just speaks sexy, to us. One of them sexy, one of them tough, one of them be glassed. Yeah, us. They have gla- one has glasses, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is the one where I'm going to have to fight the hardest, I think, of the whole 97 season to just uh, talk about it. Like, it's not a movie that I fucking love so, so, so much. This, this is a movie that I had never seen before, so I am not going to do what Ryan is saying. I, this movie is up my asshole and jizzing out of my dick. <laughs> Did you not watch I, it? Because... It said confidential, and you're like, well, I gotta <laughs> trust that. This yeah, is I none of my business, and I don't, I'm moving on. I don't have that kind of clearance. <laughs> I haven't been granted that. I've also never seen the movie Top Secret. All right? I I'm truly haven't. I, I'm, and I won't until I get, achieve a very high rank in the U.S. military. Just to be safe, I've never had the popcorn Pop Secret, because, man, you just can't be sure. Have you read the book, Ryan? I have read the book. Okay, because for me, this is very much not just a movie, and this is tough for me, and I've talked about this with other movies based on books that I've read. It's very much just like an intellectual property that has two heads, Mm -hmm. the movie and the book. And so for me, the challenge is 
not just constantly say in the book this or just talk or think about how great the book was, but actually see just the movie and only focus on that. Taylor, have you ever read the book? No, I have not. I I have no and no. Have Uh, you ever read anything by James Elroy? Uh, no, until this very moment, I did not know that that was a person. Oh. I actually, I am just now finding out that this was a book. Okay, that it's based on a book. All right, because James Elroy is like a really big, gritty crime drama writer and very famous and has like a lot of killer books and had a huge role in this movie. Did he help, Ryan, to the best of your knowledge, did he help adapt the screenplay for this? No. Okay, because and- his he was all up in the making of this movie. It's weird, like reviewing it before I came on the show. It is weird how much people talked to him and consulted him. You don't see that with every single movie. I think people may have been a little nervous about him Alan Mooring out because uh-huh. he's a character. Like he is straight out of the 50s. He sounds like a character when like you read the quotes, they're really over the top. He sounds like Danny DeVito talking. And I've heard him say that he loved the screenplay and I've heard him say that uh they like basically removed all the soul and just flattened it out as much as possible. Yeah, well they the movie connects the dots there's a lot of dots in this book, and yeah, that always happens. Yeah. You always kind of flatten the story of a novel when you make it into a movie, but the question is, how do you give little shout-outs to what's in the novel and explore more deeply? And that's something I think this movie does really, really well. I mean, have, if you read the book before you see the movie, you're almost obligated to say book was better. Yeah. Like, it happens all the time, but like having read the book, and I think there's like nine main plot lines in the book, Yes, and we've got... Still feels like too many here, but way way fewer. Apparently, uh, he was like, "Good luck, fuckers!" Like, I, yeah. I don't know why anybody would want to make this into a movie. But having read the book, like that's how I know, like what an incredible adaptation job yes. this is. Like, it's insane that's, what they were able to do without knowing going into it that it was an adaptation. Now coming out of it, I feel I think the same way about this movie that I felt about Akira, which is I can tell that there yeah, there probably there was, was something in the background. <laughs> Got to give you points, but like I felt like there was so much that they condensed and made everything. So tight in the movie yeah. that like it does fe- it does feel like they like cut down until it was just the leanest amount that it needed to be, and that's what I liked about about the movie. And finding out that it like now finding out that it was based on a book doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah, there are some lines in the movie that are confusing the first time you hear them, and we'll get into whether or not like this is the kind of movie that needs multiple viewings. Um, but when you go back and watch it again, everything that's said in the movie. It really does give you, like, if you have a question about it, the more you think about it, the more you'll be like, yeah, that's probably what happened. That, yeah. that, that's probably what the story is there. But having, I read the book once a long time ago. Yeah, and same I, here. I watched the movie very recently, and, like, it really has been probably a dozen times, and I, I, it took me 12 times or so, but re, everything really does connect. Yeah. You know, everything is there yes. for a reason, and if it's not, the whole thing probably topples over. Well, we are definitely going to get to that, but before we do, we are going to build our very own Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore! We all know Mount Rushmore is found up in the Hollywood Hills. It's probably one of the most um, widely known landmarks in Hollywood. It used to be Rushmore Land. but Yeah, but uh, the land fell off with two of the original presidents, and still nobody remembers who they are, because monuments are the only way uh, we can do history. That was a very topical joke as of like 18 months ago, and I'm super proud of it. But we are going to make our own Rushmore to replace the part that fell down, question mark, and it is going to be based on 1997 music. 
Now, there is nothing more important to me than the music of 1997 because this is basically when I started driving, and so I had access to the radio. And so I heard, like, the four songs of 1997 probably a hundred times. And I hope you know what four they are. So this is going to be a quick segment. Yeah, it's going to be real quick. (laughs) I try to bring this segment in real tight. Taylor. Yes. You're the guest, and I feel like the guest gets two things. One, free points. And the other thing the guest gets is to go first. Okay, well then, you are a big boy. I am a big boy. Uh, I am going to go immediately for something that it, because I feel like we're going to get down to the the, the nitty gritty and we're going to be needing At least the nitty. Yeah, and we're going to need to be throwing out some some heavy hitters to get them on there. So to start, I'm going to put in a uh, critically acclaimed song rather than a a hugely popular one. Whoa, I love it. Uh, Paranoid Andrew by Radiohead. And how does that one go again? Paranoia, Android. Yeah, I really like that one. It's, so, the one. it's the one that's not Karma Police. Uh-huh, the other big one. You want Tom York's head. Yes, I want Tom York's head. Or the rest of Radiohead. Except for him. Yeah, I, yeah. I want I want I want the Greenwoods and uh one of the other guy. That feels like a very strong choice. So we'll just put like an Android head up there? But yeah. it'll be like looking over its shoulder like, eh, what was that? Oh, what's going on? I smoked too much of that robot reefer. Oh, no. Everyone is coming to get me. <laughs> <laughs> Tom York, that's not your song. <laughs> Fuck, that's good. I gave, I gave myself a point for that. Yeah, you deserved it. <laughs> How very embarrassing. All right, Ryan, one of the spots has already been taken by the android. Can you also put up a weird head on the mountain? Oh, yeah. I think that I can, Greg. I think that I can. Um, 97 was a weird time. And I think that it Granted. was a time where only this... It was the only time where this person could become famous. Looking back, I don't understand how we all thought this guy was a good musician. Um, if you can even call him that. But luckily for him, uh, his friend died. And so... <laughs> Uh, P. Diddy, That's the dream. P. Diddy made us listen to that oh, fucking song yeah. the entire year. Looking back, like he is such a talentless moron. Yes. Just watching him perform, he just jumps around. He's not good at any of like the rapping things you need to do to rap. Uh, but it's so so ninety seven. We were all about tribute songs, and this oh was a big gosh. one. Oh my gosh, And uh, I don't think that was his name then. Does anybody remember? Was it Puff Daddy? It was Puff Daddy back then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I believe 97 is also when he was on the Godzilla soundtrack. Uh Yes. Uh, Come With Me or whatever. And that was very much my shit because I I, I didn't know any better. But man, I listened to that soundtrack a lot. Also, the Wallflowers on that. Everybody knows how much I love the Wallflowers. I will give it up to him, though, for uh, going away. Yeah. Like, he just left when he knew we were all done with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so all right, that's it. This right. isn't as profitable as it used to be, He's and it's not. not worth it anymore. He exploded in a poof, Daddy. So, two of the slots are taken, Taylor. Yes. All right. I Can am you going, take a third? I was going to do the other two. I am going to attempt to take a third. This is uh, uh, a crew that it was at the, at the height of their power around 97. Okay. I'm going to throw out the fucking Wu-Tang Clan in 97 with Triumph. With their 13-minute Triumph song. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's a song that every single member of the Wu-Tang Clan 
and Cappadonna was on. Uh-huh. Do not pretend that Cappadonna was a member of the clan. Is he this the not. one where they actually call in the East Coast Wu-Tang Clan? <laughs> and then they call in like the British version of the Wu-Tang Clan? Yeah. It's, it's, they, the Wu-Tang Clan operates just like the Avengers. The Wu-Tang Clan that's just a baseball team? There was legitimate... <laughs> the Wu-Tang Clan that goes around solving crimes in a van? There's legitimately, every now and then, you would see like a headline that was like, Wu-Tang affiliated rapper, this person, like was murdered okay i part of me wants to put this right on the mountain and just be like i'm cool i but i didn't know anything about the wu-tang clan back in 97 and i feel like they didn't dominate music not that they were not good because i don't think like the the people we're putting up are not necessarily going to be good but i'm just i'm too powerfully white everybody and in 97 if anything i was even whiter although i was in 97 reading the autobiography of malcolm x but it just confirmed. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm real white. I'm very white. Ryan, I feel like this is a major opening for you. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I am going to... I think it's. we talked a little bit last week about just how big Titanic was. And it was a very big ship, right? It's yeah. very huge. Like very large. Four steam stacks. That's a lot of steam stacks. <laughs> but the most important steam stack of all was Celine Dion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's four steam stacks tall. <laughs> Celine Dion, a giant artist in residence in Las Vegas. She's literally in residence all throughout Las Vegas because of how big she is. So she did the... Yeah. It feels like, Greg, you've only heard the Ira Glass version, but uh, Celine Dion did the original. And that song was inescapable. Yes. In 1997. We oh, were yeah. all king of the world, and we loved Celine Dion. I'm king of the world. Ryan. So that is going right up Come on the mountain. Right up there, I guess. Come Taylor. This, I'm going to say, this is probably your last chance. I, I, I think that it is my last chance, and I'm worried about what I'm about to do. Yeah, you know what? You want to be on Rushmore Drive, not maybe Circle. <laughs> you know? I, you know what? I do get that. But... <laughs> I also... Wait, you get that? I do get that. Taylor. Thank you. Thank you for getting that. Uh, But, unfortunately, I'm about to... I have to be true to myself. And I would be remiss if I did not go to a 1997 musical Rushmore and not nominate fucking 3AM himself... Rob Thomas and his Matchbox 20s. <laughs> Listen, this fucking album was huge. It had it had like five number ones. It was huge. It was one of the best-selling albums of the year. Okay, wait. Did it have this song on it? <laughs> Could you imagine ever doing something where you would be remiss? <laughs> right? Imagine you got done with this segment and you hadn't done that. And you were suddenly like, oh shit, I'm remiss. We just we find Taylor a different part of the studio, like staring at a window, <laughs> oh smoking God. a cigarette. Gosh, I have to tell my mom. I'm gonna call her mom. I was remiss. You know what, guys? At least I'm not remiss right now. <laughs> That's that. That is the thing that I have over YouTube. <laughs> so I'm fine with this. <laughs> Ryan, can you keep yourself from being remiss? God damn it! Fuck you guys. Oh man. Okay. So I think that I I don't want to double dip here, but I think I have to go for the reason for Puff Daddy season, which is Notorious B.I.G. Who uh, like leapt. Yeah, I have beyond. no idea why we put Puff Daddy on this list <laughs> when Notorious B.I.G. was the more important one. <laughs> list this sucks i hate I, this i also want to put uh sting for tom york and faith hill for celine dion Fuck and you. Get the whole you know what there. it's highly unusual Skadoosh. but i will allow it so ryan you're getting the point Ryan for notorious big who else are we replacing faith hill, God faith hill. Ryan. Get a, that's another point ryan who else what? and sting 
Right. And the, stings. Why the fuck is Sting going on there? Because there's no song without Sting, Taylor. Imagine having a song where you don't have Sting. That's crazy. That's like the WCW without Sting. No way. That's like a Wasp without That's, a Sting. That you know what? I like. What other things have Stings, Greg? Uh, a lot of times my words have Stings, Taylor. Well, I found that out during <laughs> this one. I definitely feel that real strongly, Ryan. Will you do me a favor and tell me our 1997 freshly revised God Mount Rushmore? Your 97 Rushmore is. Puff Daddy, Notorious B.I.G., Faith Evans, not Hill, and Sting. From the WCW, by the way. Congratulations to Sting and the WCW. Skadoosh. Skadoosh. You know what it means when you hear skadoosh? It means I've changed up the rules and a new edgy Greg has come into the studio. I, you know what? I don't like new edgy Greg. He's come to kick ass and give out lollipops. And you know what? He just has this just one last lollipop left. Would you like it, Taylor? Yes, I would. All right, and you can have this point as well, big oh, guy. thank you. When we come back, we're going to talk about L.A. Confidential. Set in 1950s L.A. and based on the 1990 James Elroy book of the same name, La Confidential tells the story of three different cops, each with his own way of being shifty, who begin to uncover a plot within the police department that spans from dirty cops to porn and prostitutes to holly weird hopheads doing the marijuana and fighting by erasure. Before it's all said and done, a Hamlet-level number of characters have been killed. The good guys, question mark, have won, and order is restored to the universe. And more importantly, L.A. So, gentlemen, I ask you this. Can a viewer really understand what's happening in this movie from one viewing? And does actually knowing what really happened, is that as important as, as just the experience of, like, this movie kind of washing over you? As someone who watched it for the first time, not knowing anything, I feel like I and got... currently, by the way, yes, like you have to turn it off at some point. No, I, I think I'm going to be able to get to the end by the end of this podcast. Good. I think I'm going to be able to just don't know nobody talk about the ending because before we it's get there. L.A. Confidential, Jack. <laughs> oh, as you can hear a little bit of the movie there, famous line: "Because it's L.A. Confidential, yeah. Jack." Uh, but I I feel like I was able to get. There might be like little things that I like didn't quite pick up on like uh-huh. little subtle things but i feel like i pretty much i got the general gift of i know what happened in this movie yeah but it's it is gift yeah <laughs> god damn it <laughs> uh but right. i loved this movie and i think that the journey to get to the end is more important than understanding the whole thing like the the journey of uncovering it was way more interesting if this was not based on one of the most complicated books i've ever read uh, then I, the movie probably would have turned out different and much more digestible. Yeah. I think that after this recent time, I can finally put all the pieces together. Uh-huh. Having seen it 12 times and having read the book, I think I finally have figured out what's going on. Well, the kid, dude, congratulations. Thank you very Why? much. That's a lot to ask from a moviegoer. Yeah. You know, most people won't put that time in, even to something like LA Confidential. But I think- what I think that it does have, if you get lost a little bit in the middle, you know, and then we build towards the third act, like shootout, and then now you're like, oh, n- normal movie. I understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah, is the arcs of the three guys okay? If you can, you can, uh, you know, get your hooks into the three guys and how they start, and they start off as like sort of like broad, two dimensional, like archetype cops for yeah. sure. Yeah, and then watching their right. journey is enough to like where if you don't understand all of the goings ons of uh, the L.A. underground, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, because vaguely. You will come away from the movie knowing that the Irish 
police commander. Dudley Smith. Yes. Dudley Smith is the bad guy. Yes. yes. You right? get that. Like, you, you get that from There's the no movie. denying that because you see him shoot Kevin Spacey. And remember, back then, that would be sad for somebody to shoot Kevin Spacey. Right. So, but you you know that. And then I think the rest of it, you also know that it has something to do with Kim Basinger's uh, Lynn Bracken's yeah. boss. Hooker's cut, cut to look like movie stars. Yeah. I think by the time they're like, Bud Meeks is dead under the basement or in the basement. I think by that point, people are like, wait, who the yeah. fuck is Bud Meeks? And they help you. They show like a little picture of him. Yeah. Like, they they, they even it. do the specific it, flashback. It's not Bud, enough. Bud Meeks. Do, do we want to even try and explain the general like gist of what well, happened in this movie. Okay, here's yes, and here's why. Because this is a very cool idea for a story, which is that Mickey Cohen, a big gangster yes. in LA, gets arrested for tax evasion. And so that's going away for a long time. That's like you don't fuck with the IRS, right? And that opens up a power vacuum into which a bunch of dirty cops step and then use their ability to first of all frame crimes any way they want to yep. so that when they are the ones who shoot people they just say like oh it was someone different we investigated and that's what we found out i swear to god we investigated and yeah. also drive out gangsters out of their town and this is based on something that really happened in LA a bunch of cops called the goon squad which is awesome yes uh just drive them out of town and then we be the bad guys and it helps if we also get a bunch of heroin when we kill some of the previous bad guys so the first the first half of the movie we think that the bad guys are because they're like dirty cops in the way where they will like plant evidence right or like break the law of being a cop yeah totally. and so the first half we see dudley smith saying get out of my town because he's trying to get rid of gangsters and he wants to do it quickly and with violence but it turns out dudley smith was actually he had some other motives for it Yeah. yeah Because, like, Bud's old partner and Buzz Meeks. Dick Stenslin. Yeah, Dick Stenslin and Buzz Meeks were the hitmen that w- the beginning of the movie makes you believe these are supposed to be, like, gangsters. Yeah. But no, they're cops. And then from there, we have a whole bunch of heroin, and everyone's double-crossing. The mayor's involved. The district attorney's involved. But, but like, it's, it's uh, it, the heroin, the gangsters and the heroin, the night owl... Murder. Somebody comes in and shoots a bunch of people that are in a diner called the Night Owl. And then Pierce Pratchett, the pimp that uh, cuts hookers to look like movie stars, they really do feel like three different movies, three yeah, different yeah. stories. For so much of the story, for sure. They're like, Ryan. they're connected, but they are not all the same. And well, so and then the movie has like three different parts where three different guys are like the yeah. main characters of their own individual adventures. It, you, what it made me think of is uh, the like Grand Theft Auto 5 when they yes. just give oh, you, yeah. they give they give you three different guys and they're all doing their own thing and then eventually they link up and they yeah. have like a and, and like, they start a coffee shop. Yeah, like that's and the be, game I really thought of with this it. is I played LA Noir when it came yeah. out and I remember being like, "Oh, this is a little bit like LA Confidential." No, it's not a little bit like it L.A. Confidential. <laughs> it's the story from L.A. Confidential. You solve a bunch of mysteries, and it turns out after you've solved a bunch of these mysteries, and you go from regular cop to homicide to vice division, and after a while, you figure out that someone has been setting up all these crimes, and then you have to bust that person who did it. It's the same it's, fucking story! It's the same story! Starring everybody from Mad Men. So what we've learned is Rockstar Games just knows how to like rip off L.A. Confidential. And then that that Rockstar game Bully, that was Dudley Smith's early years. You know that that's how he acted. Um, What do we think the morality of this movie is ultimately? I think it's like a true neutral. Like the movie itself is like, we don't give a shit. We're not going to like take a moral stand. Yeah. These are all just people. Because that's part of what's so complex about this, right? Yeah. Is that people have... 
at first we see people as almost like two dimensional versions of themselves. Yeah. And then we learn about their complexity and then we realize that you can't explain their actions on much of a moral scale sometimes. The first time you watch it, especially if you've read the book, you think that, oh, these three main characters are two-dimensional because it's just easier. We have a whole book to do, you know? So we got to, like, introduce them fast and make them two-dimensional. But I think what the movie's actually doing is showing how these three main characters force themselves to be two-dimensional. Life is easier when you are two-dimensional. And then we watch throughout them going through all this that, like, no, you can't be. So I don't think it's, like, saying this is bad, this is good. I'm saying, like, you're fucking kidding yourself if you think you could just stay true neutral the entire time. I think that they sometimes force themselves to be two-dimensional, but more than that, I think this is a movie about how to understand anything, we have to compress it and make it two-dimensional. Because we can't understand things as complex as they are, which is part of why the story is so complex. So we're always smashing every story into just some two-dimensional picture that we can understand because we can't really wrap our minds around how complex life is. And the thing that you're talking about becomes a character. Lynn Bracken, Kim Basinger, twice uh, has that conversation where she says to Bud, Russell Crowe, here's Pierce Pratchett, here's the description. I bet you can't believe that a pimp is that three-dimensional. And then later on, Exley comes in and she does it for Bud and explains Bud and says, you want Bud to be two-dimensional. He's not, I'm telling you. Well, she has so much of that, like, I'm the ingenue who understands everything that's going on. Oddly enough, it made me think of Jessica Rabbit. Yes. From yes. Frame Roger Rabbit because she's bombastic and, and beautiful and, you know, breathy when she speaks and slinking around. And then the second she gets a second with like one of the main characters, she's like, okay, here's the deal. Yeah. Here's everything that's going on. I'm not sure why nobody else sees it, but this is how it works. Uh, I hope you can do something with that. But there's still sort of like a, uh, sagey, old, wise character aspect to her too because she isn't running around saying, guys, listen to me, please. I can solve this case. It, it's, it's sort of doled out in a way where like right. she can let people learn on their own. She doesn't, she doesn't care if anyone solves this case. Right. She just knows everything and she wants to just live her life and do her thing. Right. No, bad shit's going to happen. She's the fucking yeah. R2-D2 of this story. Yeah. <laughs> she yes. knows everything that's going on, but she like prefers generally in, not to get involved. In the prequel, she can fly for no reason. <laughs> she has but then loses throwers. that power why what what happens sometimes you forget sometimes you just forget sometimes you forget that you have baller flamethrowers so i think what we're coming down on is that the complexity is part of the experience of the movie yes and if you don't know every single thing that happens because let me ask you for instance does the movie explain what happens at the, the night of the night owl i think like is there ever a time where they're like here's what happened at the night owl for sure i think broadly it my understanding is that uh, Dick Stensland was dating that girl. Yes. She ended up being like collateral damage because they came to just kill Dick because he was he was integral to the entire operation, but they had to fire him for appearances. He had to get got. And when you say fire, you mean with a shotgun. Yes. yes. Because and he was kicked out of the police force, so he could no yes. longer be the gangster policeman. Right. So because or he, were- he was he was saying, now that I don't have a job, I'm going to like call the newspaper, or I want more money, or something right. like that. He did. His last appearance uh, where he's talking to Bud White he does seem to have this really like I'm about to I'm about to have a big payoff. Right. And so I thought that was going to be him joining the bad guys, 
totally forgetting after having seen this movie twice and, wa- and read the book that he's about to die. So really what it is you guys are saying is he's going to be like, I am going to betray you and, and yeah. extort you now for money. And so that's why they killed him. And that then, makes sense. And then staged the rest of the murders to be like, oh, this was just a random thing. But well, like, he Something must target. have gone wrong, all right? There's no way they planned on killing 15 people. I, I think that, I mean, either they say at one point that Dick, because he's a cop and tried to like do good, like the, the guy in the basement, the yeah. what's his name? The uh, coroner who just like yeah. doesn't understand anything that's going right. on. Right, he like gives Dick Stensland shit. Like, oh, I bet he tried to be a cop, and maybe that turned the whole Night Owl thing bad. Uh-huh. But what I actually think it is is that there were two gunmen, or maybe three, right? Yeah, Dudley Smith, two guys, and maybe Dudley Smith. And what was important, the most important thing, is that after Dick died. Dick Stensland, that everybody thought that it was three black kids. Yeah. And so yes. what they did was they did everything that they could. Get rid of the of the witnesses. So and somehow, that's what they think black kids would do in a diner. Right. They somehow knew that these three guys had done this other thing, right? Yeah. Like, or they just picked a... Yeah. Or they just got lucky, because that's... I think that I, the Inez thing, the... The, uh, the crime that the black kids actually committed, I'm not sure yeah. if that's happenstance or... Well, because... The... I think there is a lot of happenstance in yeah. this movie, right? I think that's supposed to be part of... I think the movie, in, in part, is about how if you have a big conspiracy, there's a lot of different times where happenstance can undo it. Yeah. And well, that might have been an, an instance of that. Because the other thing is, they like they killed a bunch of people with shotguns, and so they knew that they had shotguns, and then I think they just went through, because the only time we hear any evidence that even remotely links them isn't a witness statement. It's just, like, this is the description of the car that we saw, yeah. and it happens to be the car from this old report from, like, the uh, like two nights ago. Actually, yeah. and uh, Jack Vincennes, Kevin Spacey, get to the car uh, after Dudley's guys are still there, or, yeah. like... Just after they got yeah, because they're going to go in there and just murder these. Yeah, they, they did not think that Exley and Vincennes would figure out yeah. who these guys were. And again, if you rewatch the movie and you watch their faces, yeah. they're yeah. like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" And it's obviously, as soon as they bust in the door, he tries to. One of the bad guys tries to shoot one of these. Right, teams, and Exley like hits his gun up. But uh, Exley and Vincennes, I don't know if they're that great at detectives because when they <laughs> looked in the back seat, it's three of the most perfectly planted yeah, shotguns right. I've ever seen. Like, there's lights on them, yeah. there's a price tag. These are right where the guns are, right here in the back. When we come back, we are doing trivia, but it is just for our Patreon no, listeners. That's cruel. What? You know what? That's how it works. You want the trivia? Sometimes you gotta pay the money. That's how we do it. Thank you, Patreon listeners. Thank you, regular listeners. But uh, not thank you with trivia. Just thank you. Hey, Daddy, I want to go that gets me so pumped up every time that's the longest sound we have that we never talk through i hope you are pumped up at home as well listener we're going on a little shopping spree we are each going to run through the aisles of this movie picking any sweet items that we want and putting them in our little fanny packs. And the first one to go is going to be my good friend, but not best friend, oh, T-Money. That's, you didn't need to specify that. Are you think. actively yawning right now? Nope. <laughs> All right, <laughs> very good. Not, not, not happening. Please don't yawn during my show. I am, I am, I am very attentive. Uh, so uh, speaking of... It's uh, too bad there's not a way to like take away points. I feel like that really There should been, be a yeah. way to take away points. That's I. Oh, that's that, what it would sound like. I'm assuming. All right. So the first thing that I'm I'm gonna buy, I want to buy from this movie is I want that 25 pounds of heroin. Okay. 
That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Like, listen, See, I... Okay, did you get the feeling... I got the feeling very much that, like, they were always bad cops, right? Yeah. But it's shown in a very offhand way, because they don't want you to know that the cops are the ones doing it right away. But this 25 pounds of heroin, that kicked them into a new gear, right? That's oh, the thing. Yeah. Is that I looked this up, and okay. I think I found a story about how 100 pounds of heroin was, like busted recently and that was 30 million dollars yeah and so i think that the reason that the number is 25 is because they're like oh fuck this is too much heroin that yeah. is so much because also when you think about that amount of heroin that amount of heroin is not what goes to the street they cut that at like like 10 percent of that heroin with to like 90 percent of like step other on that. stuff yeah and then you sell that for however much that's a whole shitload of money and it's funny because if this story were told in a different way it would actually be really interesting because they had a good little thing going, the cops, but it actually it blew up in their face because they were going to get too big. The conspiracy got too big, and then it was like any crime you investigated would eventually go back to this cop gang. This is, yeah, when you said, like, uh, when you brought up, Greg, that there's a lot of happenstance in this movie, it really was not, like, they really did not draw it up on their blueprints. And so all of this murder is because they thought, oh, it'll go exactly like we planned, and it doesn't. And pretty soon they're fucking murdering everybody. There's, like, 30 people killed in this movie. I mean, to kill one guy... They killed 14 additional people. There's like I can see an argument where like you think that Dudley Smith is too bad. Like when he goes to yeah, kill Danny DeVito, totally. it's, like, it's too much of a villain. But I actually think that like right. he's just used to it at this point. Like yeah. he just knows that this is what I do now. He's a sociopath. He does not give a fuck. And if he were actually not a sociopath, I think he'd be a lot better at this. Because the answer is not you kill 15 people. That's not like and you can't then kill every other single person that you are associated with. That's going to close the, the loop on you pretty quickly. If you give a mouse a cookie, you're going to have to kill 15 people. I don't think that Taylor should get to go anymore. Uh, there's no way that Taylor what? receives 25 pounds of heroin and doesn't die because of heroin overdose dose or gangland. Oh, yeah, no. I'm going to die immediately. Yeah. yeah, This is so much heroin, this is, dude. Th- yeah. I, I, no, you know what? Ryan, this is going to be giving you a point because that's a really good point. What? Taylor, I don't want you to have, honey, I don't want you to have that much heroin. What? But I'm gonna, I promise me. I'll take care of it. I don't, I don't like to think I'll about feed it, it about every this. day. You had all that ecstasy, remember? And then you didn't. Uh, if me and Greg. No, this will be different. It's not going to be different, baby. It's going to no. be different. Oh, the first heroin user to ever say that. What if me and Greg promise not to touch the other 24 pounds in this shopping spree? You just take one pound of heroin. Okay, well. well we can agree to that. What, uh, yeah, you know what? We, there's only one heroin I care about, and that's Lynn Bracken, heroine of L.A. Confidential, the movie we're talking about tonight. Let's take a call. Let's take a call. <laughs> this is Greg. You're here with T-Money and Money. How you doing, T-Money? Oh, I'm doing great, Money. How's it going? I just figured out what I want to buy on this here shopping spree. What's that, Money? But uh, it, Is it one pound? Can it's we, one pound. Okay. He's getting one pound. Okay. Okay. It's like a trust. I feel like you can have the other pounds when you graduate college. I feel like he could still maybe mess his life up. If you <laughs> oh, no. A, I'm still going to die with one pound of heroin. You don't want just like a pound of heroin. Like, but you know what? We said we'd give it to him, so we're going to give it I'll, to him. I'll fuck myself up with a spoonful of heroin. He's I don't an, give a fuck. He's an adult. He can have as much heroin as he wants. Speaking of drugs, uh, I don't want heroin, but I will take that pot. Uh, for a couple of yeah. reasons. One, it just looked really good in the bag. It looked like there was a fair amount of it. And also... We've gone too far with pot. We've made it way too fucking strong. It was supposed yeah. to be like this mellow, cool thing. And 50s era pot is just a plant that some guy was growing in his backyard. It wasn't like covered in all these pesticides. It wasn't like 30% THC or whatever. 
We've gone. We have jumped the shark on pot. Yeah. I want some of that 1950s grass. You don't think that with your uh, tenured career of smoking that, like, do you really think this would have, like, do you anything at all? Like, you, this would be such fucking dirt weed to you. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I'm, I'm a bit of a vet when it comes to this stuff, but I hardly smoke anything compared to what I used to. But back in the day, Ryan, probably because I was going, I was going bonkers back in the day, but. N- but now I am an adult, and I don't ad- do it anymore. Adults want easier video games. Yep. Uh, they want light beer, and yep. they want marijuana that, like, basically you kind of barely feel, and then you you want to be able to not have to hide. Modern weed, if you don't smoke it all the time, modern weed, as soon as you take a hit, you're like, the cops are coming, dude. I oh, gotta yeah. hide in my bed. As someone who tried weed for the first time yeah. in 2019, guys, they'll fuck you up. It'll fuck you up real bad. And you know what? One, just one quick aside here. If you don't like smoking weed, don't let anybody tell you to fucking smoke weed. Yeah. This is the weirdest thing. I don't know why there's so much pressure that everybody has to like weed. A lot of people know they don't like it. And you know what? Don't pressure them and don't let yourself be pressured to do weed. Yeah. I Sometimes say, it's though, not fun. I avoided all that. I only spent like six or seven years smoking weed before <laughs> I finally agreed with what you're saying. So I'm getting some of that sweet 1950s Mary Jane. Even though it could ruin your whole fucking life back then oh yeah i guess i want it without the penalties you could be on the cover of hush hush magazine ryan we are burning through nap time what is your item you have two here right yes you're on i the, have two. you're on the turn oh, wow so uh you guys got your vices taylor yeah. with his heroin greg with his weed i am going to put in my shopping cart sorry fanny pack um bud feeding tube at the very end he dies is, is he really a- does die Okay, is that a feeding tube, or is that like a drain your weird cut That's, tube? Okay, yeah. I'm going to reverse it then, and I'm just going to have like Bud Light uh, taped <laughs> to my face with a straw, and I'm just going to be sucking it out of that all Bud, day. Okay, That's Bud cool. White's Bud Light tube. You know, I do think, though, I, now that I think about it, Ryan, I think you're right, because he probably can't eat because he's got... He's oh, got, like, yeah. Tyler Durden shot through both cheeks. Yeah. You yeah. know? Riddled with bullets. Probably should have died. Died twice, I think, in the second you, to last scene. You see him get shot in the head, and then they're yeah. like, and... Then after they let you have him be dead for five minutes, and they're like, and guess who's still alive? That guy that got headshot. Oh. Dude, still ticking. And then, okay, so I've got that. That's, by the way, Ryan. Thank that's, you. that's very good. It's just the helmets with the cans. The, that's, it's so, like. It's unwieldy. Yeah, and it's out of fashion, and I am nothing if not fashionable. And then uh, I am going to buy with my second pick, uh, Bud White. I just, I think that he's. Just the dude. He's the me. No, I'm not going to buy him. Okay. Uh, but, like, of the three gritty cops, right, like. I'm the Bud White. I'm clearly so tough. The big tough guy, always defending women. Everyone thinks that you're only worth your muscle and that you don't have any thoughts in your head and it actually hurts your feelings all the time. All these things are true. I'm going to buy his super strength. He is clearly a different human being than everybody else in the movie. At one point, he goes to fight Exley and it takes literally nine cops to barely hold him back. That's why it's weird that five foot nothing Russell Crowe plays this guy because in the yeah. book he is like the kind of strong you can only be in books like Chief from uh, Wolf oh, Over yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest. Like he is so big that yeah he could basically lift a filing cabinet above his head, which I think he does in this book and throws it at somebody. So that's so you want that strength? I want strength and tube. All right, very he's, good. He's got super strength. Strength tube. and tube. I like. Right. I like the idea of buying some strength. Okay, let's see. What am I gonna buy? Listen. You want to talk about strength in this movie? Then you're talking about one thing, and that's everybody's tie game. Oh, man. There yes. are some of the most fucking beautiful ties I've ever Good seen in my life. ass ties. If you want to make your movie not be dark, then have it be fucked up bright. And there are, except for Bud White, who it's supposed to underscore what a down-to-earth guy he is, 
everybody's tie game is so strong, and frankly, I'm shook by it. At one point, and again, I am the Bud White, so like I get a little yeah. defensive, but at one point, uh, Bud White, when he finally goes into Lynn Bracken's house upstairs and not Veronica's, Veronica Lake's house, he takes his coat off, and his tie is four inches long. Yeah. Everyone else in the movie, killer ties. And he's got the Sipowitz short sleeves. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think he, I think this movie made that popular. Taylor. Yes. You're going to get two more things here, and then, yes. by God, we're going to just call it a segment. And, Greg, okay. you're taking all ties? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I took every single tie in the entire movie. Okay. Well, Even Bud White's booty ties. Well, I'm glad that you... <laughs> well, you took Would the you ties. Would you that bar? <laughs> you took the ties. Uh, I am going to go along the same lines, and I want Jack Vinson's studio suits when he goes to okay. the studios. That fuzzy white coat? Yes. Yeah, oh, man. Because, oh, like, when he's just in, like, the the detective's room and doing detective stuff, he's wearing a normal suit. But anytime he goes to that studio... When he's Hollywood Jack. His Hollywood Jack yeah. suits are fucking great. And I feel like it, at the time, that would have been like, look at this flashy dude. Yeah. I feel like that has come back around. I would look so fucking fresh in those. I have to say, it was easy to hate Kevin Spacey when we watched... American Beauty. American Beauty. Yeah. Yes. But I had to keep reminding myself yeah. during this movie that we were supposed to hate this guy because he, first of all, he's beautiful in this movie. He's yes. I'm not someone I've ever noticed for his looks before, Dream but boat. he looks really, really good in this movie, and he is just absolutely owning every scene. This is like him at the top of his game. I kept movie. looking down like at his shoes because it felt like he was like floating. Like It felt yeah. like he was just like levitating through the scenes yeah. that Dude, he was Dude, remember in. that scene where uh, Guy Pierce, where Ed actually asked him why he became a cop? And he's like, I forget. And his eyes start watering like a second before he says, I forget. He doesn't cry, but his eyes completely flood and his voice kind of breaks. Yes. You guys, th- man, I, I had this to guy's wa- a monster, keep in mind. I had to watch this movie and then immediately watch that video he made where he was yep, like, I, let me be frank. Don't, don't you want me back? Like th- uh, those two things have to be watched back to back. So you remember what a weird fucking creepy dude this is. So you, and you want Jack Vincent's coat from Ellie Confidential and yes. not the clothes that he wore in that video that he made. No, not the weird apron that he's wearing in okay. that video for no reason. Taylor, you also have your final pick coming up. You're on the turn here. What else are you going to get? All right, I'm I'm going to round out. I've got the I've got the uh, at this point one pound of heroin. Yeah, twenty four remaining to be seen. What happens to those? Uh, I've got that's like probationary. Yeah, you might get that heroin if you prove to be. I'm a big boy. A big boy. I'm I'm going to try very hard to be a big boy in my big boy very fancy suits. Nice. So to round out all of that, I think what I really need is. Those glasses that Ed Exley wears. Those are some handsome looking glasses. They're good glasses. And everyone the whole movie is telling him, hey, buddy, take those glasses off. And no, keep them on. Keep them on. They're good glasses. My cousin is an NYPD officer and he wears glasses. And he told me that anytime anything goes down and a suspect attacks them, he is always the person attacked, and it's because he wears glasses. Really? Because we see glasses as such a feminine, like, emasculating thing because people's eyes don't quite work. It's like, oh, that guy must be a nerd. That's so yeah. weird that that's persisted. In the meantime, uh, my muscles don't work, but I don't wear glasses, <laughs> so I'm a manly man. <laughs> you are a manly man, and you're tall. You have that going for you. But, like, uh, hard to find a more important prop in the movie, you know, like... They don't like it because he can see everything so well. And then, like, when he finally takes it off, he becomes a different character. He goes through a whole period where he yeah. can't see because he won't wear his glasses. So he's running around with a shotgun and he just can't see. Yeah. That's, that's not that's a the good American way to, dream. It's not a good way to do police work. That's a bad. 
a bad choice for him, but Taylor, I think a great choice for you. And you could really Thank pull you. those bad boys off. You wouldn't I look think so, so. You wouldn't look so awkward in them the way Guy Pierce looked. Yeah. Because I feel like I feel like Guy Pierce, they they already had the glasses and then they cast Guy uh-huh. Pierce. Come on, buddy. Guy Pierce is doing like the Zoolander look for a lot of this movie. I really feel like he's actually kind of sucking in his cheeks and like kind of mugging to the camera a bit for a lot of this. It's as if every time Zoolander gave Blue Steel, it's somebody before that just said Rolo Tomasi. And that's how he can make that look. Yeah. But you are supposed to hate this guy. It's supposed to be oh, like yeah. he is he's the one who does the most right in the movie and he cares about the real definition of justice, but he's such a fucking prick. I yeah. think I think you're shocked by how little you like Exley and shocked by how much you like Bud White. Yeah, very good. You know what? Very good. Right. There's a point for Ryan. When you took Jack Vincent's uh, suits, I got so scared because I feel like I have kind of carved out all the, the cars in these movies. I'm the one who always wants the cars. He drives, and you don't see it a ton, but he drives a 1953 Studebaker Commander Starlight Coupe and this car is not the, uh, like a car that a lot of people think about when they think about cars from this era, but is so freaking beautiful. It, when it is absolutely just like stopped there, it looks like it's going 100 miles an hour, and it is so incredibly sexy. And the studio just let the director have that car in the movie? You know what? They, That's a they Patreon don't. joke. Sorry, non-Patreon people. <laughs> they didn't want him to, but he fought for it. Ryan, yes, you have one last pick, my friend. What are you going to take, my best friend? Okay, so I'm clearly building up a bud thing. I've got his strength. I've got his feeding tube. And I think I have to take that uh, 3.94 Ithaca bop, bop. Oh, his shotgun? Yeah, I'm going to take the shotgun. His model 37 Ithaca shotgun? And I'm not a gun guy. I really don't like guns or to have them around. uh, And this would not have been my pick, except for when it was go time in the third act. And actually and Bud are standing there waiting for... Dudley to get there. Uh-huh. He cocks it with one hand, dude, and I just, I can't, oh, what am I supposed to do? God damn. It, this is such a great, like, gun movie moment because in a movie that is about blurring the lines between real life and fiction, that's the fakest fucking thing you can do with a shotgun. Yes. Nobody who handles a shotgun would ever in a million years do that, but for some reason, if you give an actor a prop shotgun, he will in about a minute, do the one-handed weird cock thing that would immediately eject one of the shells, which you would then have to pick up and put back into the fucking shotgun. And then everyone would be like, bro, why did you do that? I thought it was pretty cool. The the last 20 minutes are all amazing gun stuff, but most of it is because uh, at this point, actually, or most of the movie, Exley and Bud White are arch enemies, like opposites yeah. of each other. Last 20 minutes, they team up. And if you After weren't sure... After fucks Bud White's girlfriend. Yeah. They have like one minute of anger about that, and then they're like, friends to the end. But like, that's what that's how Bud White handles things, right? Yeah. Like he punches until he's okay. And then after that, they decide to work together. And if you weren't sure that they were truly partners, for the rest of the movie, they only toss things to each yep. other, yep. including <laughs> guns and everything oh, that the right. other one needs. They toss to each other, and they are perfect partners. Listener, I have to tell you, don't toss guns, especially loaded Shit. ones. Shit. Do not do that. I do find it very upsetting when people in movies are like very cavalier with guns because that's so freaking dangerous. I thought you were going to say when people like Taylor tell you how to use your guns. If I'm going to toss them, I'm going to toss them. Never throw a fucking gun. Do not throw a gun, you guys. One last thing before we move on from this segment. Treat every weapon like a loaded weapon. Never point a weapon, even if you know it to be unloaded, at anybody, including yourself. Well, that is all of our picks. So let's go through, see what everybody has, and then I will choose the winner. Ryan. Let's go to you on the studio grounds. Taylor. Yes. 
has a pound of heroin yep. in the pocket of his fluffy, soft, white cloud cotton coat. <laughs> that looks like yeah. you can literally eat. Oh, yeah. And when we talk to him, he's like, I'm sorry, hold on, and puts on those Ed Exley glasses. Mm. You're basically like a, a conglomeration of many characters in this movie. Yeah, pretty much. Greg. Yes. You have got an old school bag of weed. Hell yeah. <laughs> Every single tie that you see in the movie... <laughs> And that's all in the back seat of a Studebaker coupe. Imagine I'm just walking around after every scene and being like, Ty, please. And then just putting them in a big box. I did look up a picture of that Studebaker just to remind myself, and it is a fucking sweet car. Yeah. That is a nice ride. One of the most beautiful cars ever made. Does it drift? Uh, probably if you go, like, if you drive into a corner and take your foot off the gas, I bet that thing will drift on you. <laughs> anything can drift if you do yeah. it right. <laughs> if you do it wrong, anything can drift. Uh, my In my fanny pack is Bud White's feeding tube. Nice. Bud White Super Strength and Bud White Shotgun, which he cocks with one hand because of Bud White Super Strength. I think that definitely has to go to my good buddy. Taylor. Who's going to get some more points. You did it. Three beautiful points for Taylor. When we come back, one last question. Gentlemen, what does this movie have to say about Hollywood? And is that message unique in any way? I, I definitely think that if this was NY Confidential or, like, uh, try to do more film noir other yeah. cities, you know, like, really almost all the noir, except, like, with rare exception, takes place way over there. Maybe even, like, a Philly. Like, that, it, that might Philly happen. Confidential? Uh, and, I mean, we do think, when we think of organized crime, we think of the East Coast, right? Yeah. Because they're, they're I guess, a garbage people. And we have no crime. Yeah, and we have no crime because, again, as Taylor said earlier, it's just too sunny for crime. Yeah, Why you would you go on the as beach? We, as we sit in a studio that is over 135 degrees, we can attest to the fact that it's, uh, it's always sunny in Southern California. I think the L.A. thing mostly has to do with, I think, the movie's biggest running theme. The one that I don't think the movie does anything wrong. I don't think it hits this on the head too much, but I could see an argument of uh, whatever is on the surface is a lie. And that's probably the case with, like, cops and dirty cops. And it's definitely, like, the whole thing that Hollywood has built up. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is about image and maintaining it. And Jack Vincennes is the most transparent of the characters who is all about image. But I think, like Greg brought up earlier, every one of these characters is sort of playing to an archetype to maintain it. And I think the amount that they... Like, everyone interacts with Danny DeVito's character, and Danny DeVito brings out, like, eh, whatever. It's all appearances. Like, we're we're going to fabricate a scandal so that we can just get, like, pulls. You know what Danny I like about... Danny DeVito's not planting drugs, but right. it's just one slight it's, step it's away from It's just that. over that line. I mean, it, the, the one of the very first things we see him do is he knows that a drug dealer has recently sold an actor drugs. Yeah. And so he does set him up in that way. Like, he doesn't actually do the planting the drugs, as you said, but he's definitely there to capitalize on that right away. What do you think about that character in this movie? One thing I really appreciated about it, watching it the second time before we did the show, was he knows about Pierce Patchett's operation. He, of course, knows, because he knows everything that goes on. But if you ever bring that up to him, he's just like, never heard of it. Uh, but hey, let's talk about something completely right. different. I mean, and he does such a good job selling it every time that it's not obvious that he knows everything about it, but would never say anything. He, he brings up very good points where he's like, I can't use that. 
And he's yeah. like, actually, yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. Jack Vincennes, I think, asked him three times, uh, yeah. varying like degrees in importance. What the fuck do you know about Florida Lee and Pierce Pratchett? And he does, every time he's like, oh, I don't know, bupkiss. Uh, but th- b- give me this other thing. He'll look away and then he'll hush, say hush. no. Hush, yeah. hush on the QT, man. Uh, and he definitely knows it's not going to sell uh, magazines. What we don't know is that he's on the payroll. We're yeah. definitely like worried about what it would be like to not be on the payroll. But the other thing, too, is that it's interesting because everyone, as like just the grit, Sid Hudgens is just the grit. Everybody else is grit, but they think that they can cover it up with some sort of like surface-level beauty. Yeah. Sid Hudgens is just straight. I mean, right. he looks like Danny DeVito. And yeah. he, he just embraces what the fuck he is. He understands that, yeah, what he is, and so nobody respects him. But yeah. it does go both ways. Like, Jack Vincennes... AC Ducey, if you will. It does go AC Ducey. Jack Vincennes, you think that you're this hot shit, you're the, the person on Badge of Honor, but I don't respect you either. You know, I'm in control of you. Yeah. I'm going to hide what I want to hide. I'm going to make that hush-hush and then just give you some other bullshit. On the subject of the AC Ducey thing, is that actor really bisexual or is it that he has been forced by Hollywood to the sometimes mentalist? perform yeah, homosexual yeah. act? And if that's probably the case, isn't it very uncomfortable to have him in scenes across from Kevin Spacey where it's like, oh, my God, how many times has Kevin Spacey done that to somebody? That was a stark. I had a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah. A, there's the concept of like as a at at that time closeted gay man, like what's Kevin Spacey thinking about this? scene? But then also, yeah, how many of these like situations has Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey, been Kevin in Spacey. and and created like intentionally or no, like I, I that was a very uncomfortable scene. But I do think that the actor, I don't think that he is himself bisexual, but he's gay for pay. Yeah, he's gay for pay. He's willing to like if it'll further my career, I'll do that. And I think that's another aspect of the what the movie's saying about Hollywood is like people will just do whatever to get like ahead. Danny DeVito pitches that whole thing to Jack. And then leaves. And now it's just the actor and Jack. And Jack is just starting to arc, starting to like see like some of the things he's done. It might be bad. And he doesn't think this is such a good idea. Uh, and so he's very awkward. That's why we thought Kevin Spacey was awkward before. Yeah. Now we know why he actually was. <laughs> why he's having such an unusual scene there. I guess what I'm trying to drive at with my question about L.A. is I understand what it's saying about L.A. and Hollywood. But if I had to have one like quibble with it, None of it feels exceptionally fresh to me. Is it just that it's not fresh anymore? Or is it not that every movie has to say something like totally new and spectacular? I don't know if it's fresh anymore. And I think that the biggest argument about why this movie isn't perfect is because it doesn't have a lot to say. And I think that's wrong because of this thing that we're talking about right now. You know, and I do think it's there. And I do, I don't think that the message is that fresh. But I think the delivery is incredible. If this movie succeeds yeah. or doesn't succeed in our bracket, and we all know that's the only thing that ever fucking matters, our Lynn bracket, it will be. <laughs> right. I don't know why some of those get you points and some of those don't. I guess I never know either. Some are good and some are bad. Who knows? The drop pad is a fickle mistress. Drop pad. All right. Very good. Drop pad. Uh, I've totally derailed myself now. I've totally derailed myself in the entire show. But I do feel like. The message hasn't aged well because Hollywood hasn't aged well. Yeah. Now that we know that there's all sorts of sinners in this movie 
both within yeah. the movie and like the technical advisors who were the cops that helped them make this movie, both the LAPD and Hollywood from this time have proven to be just as toxic in the real world as this movie was purporting to show it used to be. And there is like a certain yeah. sadness to that that perf- pervades the movie in a way. But I wonder if like, is the movie actually trying to say things are better now, or is it just saying? No, like, I guess it's not. Yeah, like, is it just saying like this is by, how it but was? But see, by putting okay, here's why I think it does actually. I changed my mind. If you put fucking Daryl Gates in this movie, I think that what you're saying is uh, and, and Guy Pierce had a ride along with an LAPD officer. The LAPD's position on this movie at the time was very much like, "Hey, remember how fucked this used to be?" I don't know if this was used supposed to be only. To, yeah, right. I don't think they were saying like this is still a complicated thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't. It, they wouldn't like work with them on this movie, which they clearly did. So they didn't but, react to it like all Republicans did to the sixteen nineteen project. Yeah, like, how dare you ever bring this up? Blue lives matter, man. But here's why I I actually think that you might be right there. But I think that this is a situation where you can sort of ignore what the movie was trying to do at the time because I think that this movie actually has aged much better than a lot of the other movies that we have done in the past. And specifically, I think it's because all of the main characters are shown to be shitty people and it's not trying to redeem them. Yes. And nowhere in the movie does it like intentionally but, say, these guys are better. Because okay. like, when we're watching like a, a, another Kevin Spacey movie where it tries to like redeem him, that sucks. This one, they're all shitty. Okay, and we're, that, we're granted, granted, granted. But doesn't the movie fail to... It involves people of color but doesn't it fail to ever address like what it might be like from their perspective i, I mean it yes. doesn't do it yeah <laughs> and i mean so like, is that a failure there's i, I like there's it, it i think it'd be really hard to make this movie about 1950s lapd and i feel like i say this all the time and it's really starting to like be hard as an excuse but uh to like it was all white dudes and if you want to make it about these white dudes if you put like a black guy as one of the three it would be it would not work in in the book the character Inez, the character who was the victim of like the repeated rapes, she is like a character, and you do see things from her perspective. Now, I know the movie had so much to deal with yeah. with the book, but it just feels like now you want to hear the perspective of some of these people who are so screwed by this system, who get like pulled into it and are absolutely chewed up by it, and who are the victims of like so much systemic racism, and you don't get that. Instead of just having like white people go like, <laughs> it's fucked up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's bad, man. But I do think that uh, it doesn't really dive into what their perspective is. But I do think for a movie coming out in 1997, it is pretty bold of it to have her actually say, like, no one would give a shit if someone raped yeah. a, a Latina girl from the West Side unless they killed all those white people. And like, the, just that one little moment of having her say that and then also acknowledging that she is taking power back for herself, I think is a, it, it at least addresses something. It could do more, but it does something. Which I can see why in the book, her and Exley hooked up. Cause that's some Exley level thinking right there. Of oh, like yeah. Planning the whole well, thing. I mean, I don't think it is at that time. I think he hears that and he like ruminates on it. And that's why in the end he shoots Dudley because he's like, yeah, this is the only justice for right. some people is to just absolutely gun them down like fucking dogs. Like, and it's not it's not a movie about uh, being shitty and becoming perfect. I think it's a movie about being shitty and then just coming to terms with the shittiness. Yeah. And like going back to what you said, Taylor. I totally little, agree with that. Uh, a little bit ago, uh, I do think that the themes are more universal. I don't think this is saying something about Hollywood. I think it's saying something about uh, surface versus inner. Yeah. And then 
knowing that Hollywood is the perfect place to set that. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Right. I like that a lot because I really do think that it's what the movie's about. Sometimes it's uh, heavy-handed. Like, the amount of mirrors in this movie <laughs> is insane. <laughs> and watching all the characters at the beginning think that what they're looking at is reality and then realizing that, oh, no, that's just what's on the surface yeah. and I have to deal with what's inside. But, like, the other big thing that I realized this time was the clothes and how the clothes is, like, a stand-in for the surface. So uh, Lynn Bracken is this person who, like, knows it all, and she is always wearing, famously, in, in most parts, wearing black and white. Yeah. Because yeah. This, uh, that's just the surface. Underneath is the opposite. And every time she dresses somebody down, they're gray on the surface. They, it seems like they're nuanced on the surface, but on the inside, they're the opposite. They're black and white. And those are the kind of things that I think, right. like, really hits the theme without forcing it down our throats. Yeah. Yeah. Well... That's why people tune in to Movie of the Year. Ryan giving you some of that primo content there. Well, you know what, man? I got bad news for all of us, and it's as shitty as it gets, but... Uh, I thought it was going to be another Rushmore. This is actually good news. No, it means we are out of time, and we are going to a speed round. What is the message of this movie in regards to violence and women? Uh, I think, unfortunately... Dive in, everybody! I think, unfortunately, it also takes a hands-off approach, which I wish that the men in this movie had taken. There it is! Yeah, I didn't notice. Uh, I hate to say this, but nobody's listening, so I'm going to say this to you guys. Uh, I watched this movie with my wife, and I was like, that was awesome, Bud White, right? And And she was like, he beat the shit out of Kim Basinger, and I had forgotten it. Because, dude, this is like such an interesting part of Bud White. It's not just that he hates people that beat women. He's a fucking woman beater himself, and that's why he's flying off the handle all the fucking time because that he sees – he has this weird reverence and violence that he directs towards, like, every woman. Hopefully, he's able to offload that violence. That's why he, like, seeks out men like this so that he can be violent around women without being violent towards women. But the second he gets upset about something – and it is a bummer when the person that you are a rival with sleeps with the person that you are in love with. That's a definite bummer. Yeah. But – then he beats the shit out of his girlfriend. It happens to be like twice a year. I've never punched a girl because of it. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, the, the one thing that they all have in common is like the self-loathing. Yeah. You know? And like that's his big demonstration. They are it. all the they are the thing that they hate most in the world. Like and that in every in every facet of that. How does Lynn Bracken stack up against other ingenues? And we were talking about her a second ago. Something I wanted to say is that it's interesting that she wears those black and white colors, and the first time you see her, she's dressed very much like a nun, or yeah, or like Mary. I mean, who, yeah, and the nun's habit is based on that. Uh, so like in in embodying that purity and that sort of like you know slatter nature, she's a prostitute, but that black and white being both of those things at the same time. But how is she for an ingenue? We've talked about this a little bit. Again, the person she reminded me the most of was Jessica Rabbit, the person who knows everything that's going down. Well, we were talking about Matt Mentalist and how he was gay for pay. And I think this is similar. Like, no, it's just a job. Like, it really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, like, lower my morality. Like, I'm still a human. And so many other movies like this would be like, but ultimately she's still a whore. And we really get over that fact pretty quick. Yeah, it doesn't really hang a lantern on the fact that she's... She's almost the least whorish person in the movie, really. Like, all of these people are fucking dirty prostitutes. 
like, but she's got yeah. her morals and ethics, this, and she yeah, sticks she to stays them. true it, to what is like good for her. This movie takes a fairly like hands off approach to be, being like, yeah, she's a prostitute, and prostitution's a whatever. It's just another career. Yeah. Like, it's, I, it's very sex positive. And I think we're Russell Crowe, and he comes in and meets her, and he's like, "That's bullshit," and she's like, eh, "Not really." And we're like, and Russell Crowe and us, we're like, "Yeah, it's not. Who cares? <laughs> it's fine." Ryan. What is the area or aspect of this movie that doesn't feel like it was perfectly wrought? What doesn't absolutely win? Oh, boy. I, Do you I, guys remember when we were talking about Midnight Run and that score? Yes. This is not that. It's a fucking perfect score. The score is very good. The score is good. For me, I think it would be what you were talking about, Ryan, that it can be heavy-handed in like that there are messages in this movie, and sometimes it feels like there is a paranoia that you maybe won't get them, and so maybe it's a little bit in your face with them. But... That's me digging as deep as if I you can. had to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if I had to, it, it would probably be like, it's it's failure to address the woman beating of it all. Like yeah. that, I feel like address that a little bit. But other than that, pretty, pretty solid movie. And the one I've heard the most is the poetry. Like, is it, does it tell us that much about the human condition? But like the more that the three of us talk about the three of them, the three cops, I think it's all there. Oh, yeah. I, I think definitely it is. Anyone who asks that question is stupid. I kind of feel like there. this is another one of those movies that if you're a white guy, you give a pass to. That's the yeah. one thing I'll say. Like, if you're, this is like, it reminds me so much of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, really, for a lot of reasons, obviously. But uh, it feels like you excuse this movie if you were also a, a straight white male. Because you're like, well, it can't be all things to all people. I'm just glad it's like the perfect thing for me. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so, but who knows? And then more people talk around you, but you don't hear a single word. You have moved on with your life. How messed up was it when Exley just stuck that shotgun into the door and pulled the trigger oh, into that man. elevator door to keep it from closing and just blind fires into the elevator? That was uh, the thing when that opened up and it just was sh- showing yes. him. Yes. I, ex- I, I expected that to be like open up and like there was a kid in there or something because yeah. like the devastation on his face was like very well the whole movie is little moments of realizing that you're not who yeah. you say you are like you you're hate... just a fucking violent animal yeah you hate bud white you hate uh dudley smith you're just them bro and yeah. and the way that he shot it i don't know if this was on purpose for Exley, but it uh sprayed blood on him in such a way where he can go back to the police station and have awards on him. And now everybody's like... And now they love him! Yeah, we don't hate Exley anymore. Look at the fucking black guy blood all over him. What was also good about that is that... Right. He, uh, he, helped, he really helped them out. Because the one cop wanted to obviously execute those guys because he was dirty. Yeah. But Exley had been the guy who didn't, didn't want to do it. But because he actually goes and just ices that guy instead of apprehending him, they're never able to question him, which he is obviously amazing at. There's that scene where Exley questions the oh, three guys. Yeah. And puts everything together so quickly, dude. I can't. We, I can't believe we didn't talk about. It. I mean, like that scene was the movie with all three of the cops in each of the rooms, yeah. and the movie just running in and fucking all three of the cops. Oh, it was so fucking good, guys. This movie's a great, great ass movie. This movie is very good. How was Bud White able to grab that guy by the balls, Jimmy Stompanato, if the guy was sitting on a stool and he had slacks on? Have you guys ever seen Tammy and the T-Rex? I have not seen Tammy, nor have I seen her T-Rex. There is an entire scene where two guys get in a fight, and the end of that fight is they both just grab each other by the balls, hunched over, 
and they and they both just sit there for like a full minute of screen time grabbing onto each other's balls. Mutually assured uncomfortability. Yes. <laughs> but it, it's revealed that Paul Walker's character right. was wearing a cup the entire time, but from watching that scene, I gather there's a lot of different ways you can get a set of balls. And if you're Bud White, you'll figure out the way. We were talking about Mickey Cohen before. Johnny Stapanato, also a real guy, did marry Lana Turner, uh, was murdered by Lana Turner's daughter. Daughter, yeah. And also had a legendary schlong. I have not heard anything about his balls, but apparently they're right for the picking. Is, wow. uh, is that what the guy from The Godfather is based on? One of the brothers has a huge dick. Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's Sonny, yeah. Yeah, Sonny has like a, like an astronomically big dick. Like it's Ruins, too big. Yeah. And he has to find, oh, there's a whole subplot in the book, The Godfather, where he finds a woman with a huge vagina and she like loves him because she's never been able to have good sex. And he likes her because like they both, they fit each other genitals wise. And that's part of the book, The Godfather. I'm not going to, I'm not there. I'm not going to say that LA Confidential, the movie is better than The Godfather, the movie. But Ellie Confidential, the book, is so much better than The Godfather, the book. Please go read that instead of Mario Puzo's bullshit. 100%. Even Mario Puzo would say, do not read Mario Puzo's The Godfather. That is the end of the speed round. When we come back, we'll tabulate the scores and we'll talk about Ellie Confidential and how far it's going to go. I have tabulated the scores and only I know the winner. Taylor. Yes. My sweet friend. I do not like when you start with me first. Who tries so hard every single time. I do not like when you start with me first. And often scores many, many points and impresses me greatly. You got 34 points. That's a good amount of points. But Ryan just went nuts on this one, and he got 47 individual points. Oh, my goodness. And that is just unprecedented. Is that a record? And frankly unfair. That's the most. Yeah, that's the most anybody has ever scored. a pretty good amount. So Ryan's the winner. Ryan is the best friend. Now, let me ask you. I recently was putting together, editing together, the first couple episodes we did for this season where we talked about like what we thought was going to win movie of the year. And we were pretty quiet on LA Confidential. We were really big on Jackie Brown. Uh, but we didn't say much about this movie. That shocks me now. I'm absolutely shocked yeah. because... This movie, I think, is going to be very hard to beat. I think a movie like Jackie Brown could do it, but that's the, the type of movie it's going to take to take this down. Here's my fear. Uh, like, let's say Thanksgiving, right? And you, you, you have two grandmas, and your gr- Grandma A makes like a perfect turkey. I never knew either of my grandmas, but continue. Okay, so sorry. Or my grandfather. I didn't know I either say- of my grandma or my grandfather from, from either side. Continue. If you could just take off your headphones, Greg. This is this feels like a grandma and grandpa specific thing. Taylor. I, I had four grandmothers and four grandfathers, so okay. let's go. So Grandma A, That's a lot. makes a perfect turkey. Like no turkey has ever been better. And uh, it's the it's the it's the like star of the party. But Grandma B does like this yam thing where she adds like cayenne and cream of corn and it's like weird, but it's very her. That's my fear. Is that- I'm definitely not understanding any of this. No, here I we go. Here because we go. all my grandparents were like, <laughs> right? You guys? Was that your eulogies? Yeah, dude. <laughs> what if Ellie Confidential is too perfect? And that's such. That's, there's some like that's there's such some a other movie thing to bring up that like Titanic. No, that's, which we all love. That just has like that cayenne pepper and cream of corn cream that stu- we just love. Such a stupid. What do you mean too perfect? I will. I will say this. Pretty much every time we've done this, everybody's second favorite movie is the one that wins because we all have different favorite movies. Like, I think in 88, Taylor and I, our favorite movie might have been Akira. Yeah. Which but is my- so weird because he can't read. So he was just 
mindlessly going through subtitles and watching big arms and cars. He, but he does like looking at words, which is weird. Yeah, I listen. I love the shapes, and he They're just so loves cool. hearing someone go. Ta-ta-da! But I think this movie, other than possibly Akira, I think this is my favorite movie by far that I've watched for this show. I I think I I feel the same way. This is I think my favorite movie I've ever watched for movie of the year, guys. I fucking love this movie more than you guys combined, okay? I've done the science. That, I feel like that's, that seems... Uh, he's just making weird Well, you did just win, now. so definitely more than Taylor. Okay, well, that's not... I just think it's too perfect. And I think that we're going to find something that is like... Uh, like, its flaws are its strengths, and yeah. we're going to pick that. Maybe something that's a little less neat. Mm-hmm. I think, like, exactly, I think yeah. Men in Black is going to take it. Man, I, I am so dreading watching Men in Black. Uh, I think Taylor's right, because I can't remember... Did Will Smith sing an L.A. Confidential, confidential song at the end of this movie? Uh, no. No, he did not. No, he did not. Well, I think that this movie is probably going to go far, and I wish it well. I can't remember a movie I wanted to see again as much. I f- I'm thinking about going home and watching this Seriously, movie Seriously. Like, wa- talking about it with you guys has made me just want to watch it again, and I want to read the book. I, you guys, I might have a problem. Honestly, if you announced, Greg, that next week we were doing another show on this. I'd be so stoked. Like, we definitely could do another hour. The good news is we do get to talk about it again. We just get to talk about it again at the end of the show when it's paired off against some other pretty incredible movies. Next week, we are doing our mixtape for 1997. I have reason to believe it's going to be fucking crazy because the Unnatural 20s are coming to join us. And they always bring uh, a very interesting energy, a very interesting musical energy. Cassie is basically a music genius who understands how it all works. And Caitlin only knows songs that appear in commercials when she's running by the TV set. Do we talk (laughs) about other songs other than that P. Diddy song? We don't talk. I don't think we are going to end up talking about any other. I mean, it's it's a mixtape, but I think it's just going to be probably like seventeen versions yeah. of "I'll Be, I'll be missing, missing You." Taylor, as the loser, I have to escort you out of the studio. Oh, come on! Uh, but we'll leave the mics running, and we'll anticipate nobody else coming in and trying All to right, do our I'm jobs. Out of here. All right, bitches! I'm in charge. I am going to bring up people from our green room to help me out with these commercials. Uh, coming up first is the most famous rapper of all time that is also a farm animal, the Notorious P.I.G. Oink, oink, everybody. It's Notorious P.I.G. here. Keeping it real. Making that bacon. Being that bacon. You are coming in hot and hard right now. I love it. I am sizzling up on the grill, dude. I got the chops, the pork chops to get this done. My name is Piggly Diggly, the Notorious P.I.G. My tail is kinky and my farts is Stinky. Now, good rap. That's That should be a single right there. I'm already beginning to do some of my raps that you probably know me from now, as Notorious P.I.G. Notorious P.I.G., you've gotten a lot of shit about like anti-pig, like kill the pigs, eat the pigs sort of rap theme. That's what right. What do you say to the haters? I say, you know what? I'm talking about a different type of pig. You know what? And you got a hip to that, right? Am I pinky? Is it stinky? For sure. Right? 
That's just how it is, man. You know what, though? I came in here to talk about one thing, and it's not me because I'm not a self-promoter. I would never do that. Notorious P.I.G. never self-promotes, not even on his new record. Oink, oink, get that badoink. I would never do that. It dropped so soon. You should check it out, but I did not come in here to plug myself. What or did you come in here I for, I didn't man? come in here to plug my own MySpace, which you should check out. I got approved. I have that check mark. MySpace is still a real thing, and you can find all your pig-related content. But boom, I Our did not come in here. movie of the year that. in your top eight friends on MySpace? I don't know what movie of the year is. Oh, my God, I, dude. I don't uh, I, Listen, okay, there, I'm, I'm being handed copy right here. Um, if you would like to check out a wonderful website, check out yourpopfilter.com. Um, yourpopfilter.com has everything that you would need to support your friends here, the friends of the Notorious P.I.G., uh, yourpopfilter.com. If you want to do a little bit more just to help celebrate these wonderful gentlemen, go to amazon.com slash yourpopfilter. Uh, that's where you're going to find all the amazon.com things you love to buy. And uh, you might even find one of the records from Notorious P.I.G., someone who was not just made up this instant, so don't think about that. All right, thank you. Get off the stage. All right. Here to tell us about the other shows that Pop Filter offers is anti-Christian R&B singer <laughs> Faithless Evans. What's up, guys? God's not real. Okay, right off the bat, this is how you're going to hit us. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, God is dead and I murdered him. I like that song because it starts off like, oh, God, I like God. I'm going to listen to this song more. And then you hit us with that end part. I worship the devil. Excellent. Uh, do you What's have, up? Uh, <laughs> What's good? <laughs> what is your biggest hit single right now? Uh, it's the it's the superhero hour hour colon God is not real <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> he he is a, a fabrication dot 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 the Pope diddles kids. Oh, fuck. All right, Faithless Evans, please get the fuck off the stage. All right, bye. Here to tell us about all of the ways that you can reach us on social media. It looks like a giant. Uh, like barbarian kind of weird guy who loves smashing. Here's Dunk. Uh, yeah. So, um, Dunk uh, studied smashing at Bar- Barbarian U, uh-huh. and um, what I've come to do is sna- smash the concept of ignorance. Uh, because like ignorance is wrong. Everybody, take it from me. College educated Dunk. Uh, don't don't be dumb. If you if you ever feel like, you're being dumb, you, uh, I, you can take it from Dunk. Dunk, do you have a weapon to smash don't. ignorance, or is it just you saying don't be dumb? That's what you think will smash ignorance. Uh, I like to, you know, I use a number of weapons, but uh, most important weapon anyone can use is their brain. And uh, so that's, that's, something, that's something I do. I like to, I, I like to use my brain uh, to smash uh, hate all, all, all across the world. I, 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 like, I think that you look great. I, but, but people are going to have questions about. The I enjoy that. I'm glad that you said that. I just I want to just set put out there right now. I'm very sexually fluid. Okay, good. Yeah, I you, mean, you if I what? say you look great, that's the only thing you can say back to me. I, I just want to make sure that we're like you know broadcast on the same signals because like I'm very open to anything that that happens from here. I don't understand the whole thing. You've got a giant club and then you're like a barbarian guy, but then you have a cowboy hat and spurs. Yeah, well, like, explain uh, all of this. Uh, I was um, recently separated from my friends for a short time, uh-huh. uh, and I used that time uh, to buy a cowboy hat and uh, some spurs that jingle jangle, uh, and then I uh, re-met up with them and helped crucify uh, one of them. So 
I've got a very active uh, social calendar, and uh, that's, you know, smashing hearts, uh, smashing minds. Speaking of social calendar, you have a social media calendar. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, anytime I'm on the internet, which is infrequently because I've never heard of that, and I don't know what it is, I head over to twitter.com at your pop filter, uh, where they're smashing non-humor every day with their uh, cudgels of humor. And uh, go, or go to Instagram at, at your pop filter where they're using the power of images to uh, smash hearts and minds all, uh, all, all across uh, this great uh, nation of ours. Thank you so much, Dunk. And finally, if I could, from the I'm just going to wander out of here. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, just wander, 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 wander. There we wander, go. Wander. Um, I, I want to bring up a guy who is devastatingly handsome. Um, short-ish? Giant Sword, here to tell us about all the ways you can co- contact us. It says here, uh, Shartholomew Dandelion Third. No fair! I, I should have gotten <laughs> oh, this one. Oh, hello! I am Shartholomew Dandelion Third, a.k.a. Shart for short. <laughs> Shartholomew, what, uh, what is your whole thing? Oh, nothing much. I'm a bit of a dandy. <laughs> Do you like berries and cream? Oh, <laughs> I love some berries and cream. I have a little song that I sing whenever <laughs> I go to them. Berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. That's just some of the things that I do shot. I feel it's important that if you love some things, write a song about them, list them all in the song. Oh, of course. I... Uh... <laughs> All right, Shart, uh, you're apparently throwing up everywhere next to the chair, which is fine. You came in with a big jug of empty wine. Um, yes. What are the best ways to uh, get in touch with us here at Pop Filter? Well, one way that you can do it is by electronic mail. You- this has gone very Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, well, that's just how I talk. I don't know this. Is this Vincent who's for sale, a friend of yours? <laughs> uh, so you you can take a, a, a little message and send it to your electronic butler. He, <laughs> he will send it to contact at yourpopfilter.com. And, and he, your electronic butler that you send email to is different than your robot associate who is also an electric butler? Oh, yes, of course. The, the electric butler is a, a man who, he, he's, a, he's a human being. Ew. But uh, he's got a bunch of wires shoved up in him. Whereas uh, my robot assistant, he is uh, just a robot. He's a robotic man. He's an automaton of sorts. And anyway, if you want to contact him, you can do so at 1562 Dr. DJ Pop. It's one five six two T R D J P O P. Thank you so much, Shart. Uh, Greg, do you want to come back here, please? Uh, Ryan, there's a bunch of people just wandering around the yeah, studio. Yeah, I, I think you brought them. It yeah. was your parents. I don't know what's going on. Hello. There is a rapping like pig person. Uh, that's very disturbing. And I don't like the way that he's looking at that dunk guy. Yeah. I think that something's about to go. Oh down. yeah, dude. I I think he's about to get porked. <laughs> Once again, uh, the the pig rapper guy was always white. By the way, <laughs> that was a white rapping pig person. Well, it's the other white rap. Next, <laughs> I wish I could give you points in the outro. When we come back next week, we're doing the mixtape with the unnatural twenties. They're unnatural. They're in their twenties, and they have very interesting taste in music. But until then, keep watching them moving.